of an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which... The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. When you look at the life of Paul, you have to be amazed at what he did in such a short period of time. Paul went from being a great persecutor of the church to one who was persecuted for the cause of Christ. And Paul demonstrated some characteristics that I think are worthy of our emulation or imitation today. Paul, of course, sought to walk in the footsteps of Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he would say, Be followers or imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so we have the opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to live as he lived, and to develop, as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5, the mind of Christ. And so tonight I want to, I want to call attention to some of the characteristics that I think ought to be a part of our daily Christian lives. I want to begin by calling attention to verse 8. In verse 8, Paul here reminds us of the importance of thankfulness. As children of God, we ought to be people who are thankful. Here's what he said in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Paul was a man of great thanksgiving. And as we begin this particular thought, I want to talk for just a moment or two about the source of all blessings. We well know that God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is the one that lavishes upon us an array, an abundance of blessings. And Paul understood that. And Paul was grateful to a loving God in heaven. The psalmist on one occasion said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings in Psalm 68 at verse 19. And then in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2, Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. To the church at, Thessalonic at Thessalonica, Paul would say, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And so to be people who are grateful, who acknowledge our thanksgiving to a loving God in heaven. Paul here states his reason for thankfulness. In verse 8, he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now some would say that as Paul writes here about the vast spreading abroad of their faith, that this was nothing more than an exaggeration, a hyperbole, a figure of speech. Others would say, and I think probably more correctly, that Paul is talking here about how their faith was spread abroad, not just in the first century, but even down throughout the distant ages. 
many, many people would come to learn about the faith of those who dwelt in Rome. Historians state that all roads led to Rome. And so the kingdom of God was established during the days of the Roman Empire. It served as a cradle for the growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, we read of the birth of the New Testament church and then the infancy of the church. And then finally, we talk about the growth, the expanse of that church. And so Paul here is extremely grateful for their faith, the fact that their, their faith was being spoken of throughout all the earth. I wonder sometimes about the church in the 21st century. Are we people like those who lived in Rome that spread abroad, they spread abroad their faith? Do we have that same inclination to share the gospel, to speak up, to be evangelistic for the cause of Jesus Christ? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He went on to say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. And so here were a group of people, saints, living in Rome, and their faith was being spoken of everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if the church today, wherever the church existed around the globe, if individuals knew about our cause, knew about New Testament Christianity, the world will never know what we believe until we share it. The world will never know about the plea of New Testament Christianity to simply go back to the first century and to restore the church that we read about in the Bible. People will never know that until we share it. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we believe, therefore we speak. If we truly believe, then we will be those who speak up and share the gospel of Christ. So first of all, there was a sense of thanksgiving. And I might just very quickly mention, we talk about the source of our blessings and the fact that, specifically speaking, Paul was grateful for the abounding faith of those who dwelt in Rome. And there are a lot of things that you and I have to be grateful for today. I think about that vast array of spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How often do you thank God for forgiveness? For the fact that your sins are forgiven. How often do you acknowledge as a child of God, your faults. Ask God to cleanse you and then thank him for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. John said in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. To know that our sins can be washed away, cleansed, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John said, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prayer. What a tremendous blessing. It wasn't that long ago that the elders here asked that we devote two hours to a study of prayer. Our Bible class hour and then our worship hour. 
One of the greatest resources that we have as God's people is prayer. To know that we can approach the the throne of God at any hour and that he will hear us. What a tremendous blessing. Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open under their prayers. And so God hears us and we have that assurance. What about to know that God is with us day in and day out? That there's this steady presence in our lives. That presence is the Lord. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. To know that our God is standing with us, come what may. I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 56 at about verse 9. When the psalmist on one occasion said, and the psalmist there was David, he said, this I know, God is for me. God is for us. And not only is God for us, but God is with us. Let me give you another blessing that we enjoy spiritually. And that is to know that we are people of like precious faith. There's a lot to be said about having a group of people that we can identify with. The Bible talks about in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, the early church and how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. We get beaten down by the world. And there are a lot of forces that are at work against us. And yet in Christ, we can be edified by the presence of one another. In other words, we can be built up, encouraged by one another. That's a great blessing to know that there are people that will stand with us and by us, come what may. I'm reminded of the words of Paul to these saints that we're reading about in Rome. When Paul said on one occasion that we are to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. So these are some of the great blessings that we have in Christ. There's a second thing that I want you to see in our study tonight. And that is that we ought to be faithful. Every child of God, every person that has been baptized into Christ ought to strive to the best of his or her ability to be faithful to the Lord. Listen to what Paul said in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Paul here is talking about his conviction. Paul was a man not just of conviction, but of consecration. And I want to think about that with you for just a moment or two. Look at where Paul came from. He had been a zealous Jew. And and really, his intent was to destroy Christianity. Luke said in the book of Acts in chapter 8 that Saul made havoc of the church. He was a one-man wrecking machine. His desire was to destroy, undermine adherence to Christianity, to those who were followers of the way. The apostle Paul did everything within his power to put down the cause. When you read the writings of Paul, is it not the case that Paul reflects upon his past life? And one of the things that that ought to stand out to us is how precious Christianity became to him. 
Yes, Paul was a man of great conviction because he, under, he understood where he had been, where he had come from. When he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he identified himself as a persecutor, a blasphemer, an insolent man. He said, Howbeit, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he went on to say, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Paul recognized. Not only did he recognize, but he realized what he had been. And so in light of that, following his conversion, he consecrated his life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again to what he said. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And then he said, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because it's God's. So here's Paul serving the Lord with that inner man. He was a man consecrated to the cause. Drop down a note, if you would, in verse 14 to just maybe by way of example illustrate the mindset of Paul. He said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. The word debtor carries with it the idea of an obligation. Paul felt a sense of obligation. To whom? To the cause. He realized what great obligation he was under as a child of God. Why is that? Because he understood what the Lord had done for him. It may be the case that one of the reasons some people are not faithful, and I'm talking about they're not 110% in when it comes to Christianity, because they've never stopped to reflect upon what the Lord has really done for them. They've never viewed themselves, they've never viewed themselves as people under obligation. There's not this sense of indebtedness to the cause of Christ. Listen to what he says. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. What Paul's saying here is, look, I'm all in when it comes to preaching the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. In verse 16, he talks about how the gospel is God's power unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, to better appreciate the mindset of Paul and this sense of indebtedness, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Let me tell you what. Paul realized, probably better than anyone, what the Lord had done for him. And so he is under immense obligation to fulfill his ministry. Do you remember when the Lord called Ananias to go to Saul of Tarsus? Initially, Ananias was hesitant. Why? Because he had, heard of, he had heard of all the things that Saul of Tarsus had been doing to the cause. And Jesus said, 
go your way. Why? Because he's a chosen vessel. He said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Do you really think the persecutions and the trials and the tribulations that Paul experienced in the flesh, do you really think those things were going to hinder him from doing what he believed needed to be done? Absolutely not. Paul was more than ready to give his life in service to the cause. So he was a man of great faithfulness. As a child of God, we ought to be thankful and we ought to be faithful. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. Be faithful until death. That is, you be faithful even if it costs you your life. And the promise is the crown of life. In James chapter 1 verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Living the Christian life does not make us immune to the inward and outward trials and temptations of life. Why is that? Because we live in a world replete with those things. So what we have to do is muster faithfulness and say, look, we're in this thing for the long haul. We're going to be faithful to God despite what we may face in this life. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. Paul was not only thankful and faithful, but he was prayerful. Here's what he said in verse 9, the latter part. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. You ever thought about how much time Paul spent in prayer to God? Here is Paul writing to the saints in Rome. And he said, I make mention of you always in my prayers. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he talked about how he remembered them in his prayers always, remembering without ceasing their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there people that you remember daily in your prayer life? Do you pray for the elders of the church here regularly? the deacons? What about fellow members of the body of Christ? Not just here, but in other locations. Are there things that you pray about on a regular basis? Paul was a man of great, well, he was a man that I think spent a lot of time on his knees praying to God. What that says to me is we ought to be people of prayer. Look at the life of Jesus. I think about Jesus in Mark chapter 1, the Bible talks about how Jesus, on one occasion, arose early in the morning, went out into a solitary place, and there prayed. Before he selected the apostles, do you know what he did? Luke said in chapter 6, he spent the night in prayer to God. When Jesus entered the Garden of Gethsemane, with the weight of the cross looming before him, do you know what he did? Prayed to God the Father. You remember what Paul said? Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Don't you think the Apostle Paul, don't you think he believed in the power of prayer? What a great precedence Jesus set for us today. Note if you would, specifically speaking, one of the things that Paul prayed for 
I think about, in, in reading this text, I think about his intercession on behalf of these people and then his interest in these people. He said, making request, verse 10, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Note if you would that phrase, in the will of God. When we pray, do we ask God's will take precedence? When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you see him praying, isn't it interesting that his prayers were not selfish? Here he is praying that God's will would take precedence, but he wa he's praying that he might be of service to these people. Here's what he said, that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Let me stop there. Paul's desire was, was to go to Rome. He wanted to be in the midst of the saints dwelling in Rome. Why? Here's why. That he might help to establish their faith. Now he talks about this spiritual gift that he wants to impart to them. We understand that spiritual gifts were conferred by the laying on of the apostles' hands. They had the ability to confer these gifts. You can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 an enumeration of the spiritual gifts that were enjoyed by some in the first century. Those spiritual gifts had a specific purpose. Today, of course, those spiritual gifts are no longer present. Why? Because we have the written word. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he would talk about prophecies. And he said, they shall fail. He said, whether there be tongues, they will cease. Whether there be knowledge, it will vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. So today we have God's completed revelation. But Paul wanted to go to the saints in Rome for the purpose of establishing Fixing, if you please, their faith. That word established means to fix, to steady, to stabilize. Here were people that were in Christ. And Paul wants to make sure that they are on their feet, spiritually speaking. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he makes a similar statement. In chapter 3, verse 8, in his first letter, he said, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. The goal of every preacher, the goal of every eldership is to see people converted to Christ and then become consecrated to Christ as a result of their growth in Christ. Here were people, no doubt, new to the faith. And Paul's desire is that they might be stable in their faith. Remember what Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How would they grow? How would they be equipped to face the challenges of a Christian life? By Paul coming to them, equipping them, imparting some spiritual gift that would aid in the edification process. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul said, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified in Christ. Today we build up, we edify the church by, by doing what? By preaching and teaching. By encouraging people to grow, spiritually speaking. Let me just share one final thought with you in our study. And that is we ought to be fruitful in our Christian lives. Drop down and look at verse 13 if you would. Paul said, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I want you to think about the Christian life for a minute. We understand the importance of bearing fruit in our daily lives. Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. The Christian, the Christian life is really like a garden. That's the way I think about it. If you have a garden, next spring, some of you will plant a garden. And you understand that it takes a lot of work for that garden to yield fruit. By the same token, the Christian life is like a garden. Our goal is to what? To bear fruit. How do we do that? Well, one way we do it is by developing the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Implementing or internalizing certain characteristics that help us to be more Christ-like. Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He said against such there is no law. Some of the characteristics that we read about in Scripture are more difficult to come by than others. And yet, as we cultivate these characteristics, what are we doing? We're bringing forth fruit unto God. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about how we have our fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Holiness is a fruit that we as God's people bear in our lives, converting people to the cause of Christ is a means by which we bear fruit. When you go out and talk to your friend or your neighbor, your family member about the Lord, and you do everything within your power to show them the love of God and what the Bible says about becoming, a, becoming one of his children and how you can become, how that person can become a member of the church, when that individual obeys the gospel, what is that? That's bearing fruit, isn't it? Go back and read about the early saints. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, following that great persecution that swept the early church, the saints went everywhere preaching the word. Acts chapter 11 identifies for us the numerous conversions that took place. What happened? Fruit was born for the cause. Let me ask this question. Why do we bear fruit? When we talk about some of the characteristics that we are to bear forth in our lives, love and joy, and peace, kindness, and goodness and gentleness, etc. Why do we bear these, fruit, these fruits in our lives? Why do we demonstrate a sense of holiness? Why do we help other people? Why do we share the gospel? To bring honor and glory to God. 
Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. When you bear fruit in your life, and here's Paul. He's writing to the church, or to the saints rather, in Rome. His desire, he wanted to be with them. He wanted to be in their presence. Why? So that he might bear some fruit among them. Our goal as a Christian ought to be to bear fruit, not for our own personal glory or adulation, but rather to the glory of God. The Bible says that one of the reasons the church exists is to bring honor and glory to God, Ephesians 3.21. We can do that. We have that opportunity. Do you reflect the characteristics that we've talked about? When you look at your life and you think about living for the Lord, are you thankful? Are you faithful? Are you prayerful? Are you fruitful? The answer is either yes or no. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Strong ties lift and the cable strain. Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.